0: For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Go with me to Acts chapter 14. We'll start reading verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit it's the disciples stood around about him. He rose up and came into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe, when they had preached the gospel to that city, it taught many. They returned again to Lystra, Diconium, Iconium, to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Let me ask you this. Thinking about your life. If we said, for you to live is blank, how would you fill that in? For me to live is pleasure. For me to live is money. For me to live is work. For me to live is shopping. Truly very few people could say what Paul did. For me to live is Christ. Now I want you to think for a minute with your finger back in Acts chapter 14. Speaking of Paul in his first missionary journey, verse 26, it says, Then sailed they to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the, what's it say? The work which they fulfilled. Now, as we look at the life of Paul and think about just the problems that he encountered in this very first journey. The fact that he had to get on a boat, go to an island, It was rough enough that at the first leg of the journey, John Mark jumped ship, took off, went home. If you read anything about that trip up through the mountains to Antioch, Pisidia, and realize the danger and the the hardships and the hunger, and his brother Logan and, and also brother Farley preached this week, on Paul and his missionary journeys, here's a man that had no money, no financial backing, very little support. When he took this first trip and as well as his second and third trip, he's constantly being thrown out of cities. So he makes it to Antioch and he gets run out of town and he goes to Iconium and they run him out of town, nearly stone him. And then he makes it to Lystra and and he's thrown out after being stoned. I want you to think, how would most of us respond knowing in our hearts that we're in the middle of the will of God? We're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. It's one thing to suffer hardship or face problems when you know you're running from God. But when you know you're doing the right thing and I'm sowing and I'm sacrificing and I'm giving and I'm helping people and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and it just seems like I can't have a ray of sunshine fall my way. And this is the way that Paul was living. Now let me ask you, how in the world did he overcome those kind of problems and that kind of suffering and hardship and and headaches and betrayal? And even the church there at Antioch, can you imagine being sent out and then they don't even help you? So you're looking for work and you're struggling day to day? I mean, at some point, even after this first trip, by the time he gets to Philippi and he gets beaten, They're laying scars on top of scars. Here's what he said. Go with me. Keep your finger here because we're going to be bouncing back from Acts and Philippians. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul goes into detail in this chapter about some of his suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I am more and labors more abundant in stripes above measure and prisons more frequent. How many times or how many trips would it take for us to the prison to change our direction in life and say, you know, I don't feel like I'm called to the ministry. If that means stops in prison. Verse 24, the Jews five times received I 40 stripes and nowadays you just about have to give Christian stripes just to get them to do what they're supposed to do, like read their Bible and pray and go soul winning and tithe and. But for doing right, he received five times forty stripes, save one. Can you imagine just having been beaten one time by a soldier with that kind of whip, having lost? that much flesh, having laid in a bed, fighting off infection, the next time you're threatened with a beating, most likely the remembrance of that pain and that extreme suffering five times endured that. Now what in the world would keep a man from quitting When you're doing right, you're not being supported. You're being attacked, not just by the Jews, but by your own fellow Christians. Look what it says in verse 25. Thrice, I was beaten with rods. Now, when he said five times 40 stripes, he's not even talking about the times he's beaten with a rod. Can you imagine a man stripping your back bare and tying your hands in the air and then grabbing a rod In beating you. Can you imagine what Paul's body looked like? Sometimes I wonder what his face looked like. If you've been stoned to death, when people are stoning you to death, they're aiming for your head. If he had been stoned to death and dragged outside the city, what kind of scars? I would guess his head had indentions in it. He must have been one ugly man. Can you imagine those that traveled with him when they saw him change what his shoulders and back and belly and side must have looked like from all those beatings? Now, what in the world would motivate a man to continue going, having suffered these things? Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. Then he lists all these problems and journeys. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, and among false brethren, in weariness, and painfulness, in watchings often, hunger, in thirst, in fastings, forced fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Now go with me to the next chapter. He explains why he would do these things. Chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, or this sounds like the speech of a madman. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Now mark the next three words. What's it say? For Christ's sake. What did he say in Philippians? For me to live is Christ. You know To make that statement, you're saying Christ is the very center of my life. Everything I do revolves around Christ. Now, here's the confusion. This day and age, people flock to religion because religion has us all twisted. And it's made man the center and Christ revolves around man. So I'm going to be spiritual, I'm going to go to this church because God's going to make his universe revolve around me and my good and my welfare and my benefit and my pleasure. This is why we justify sin. This is why man can bring all the world's garbage to the church because he's convinced that God's greatest concern is your pleasure. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, Christ is the center of every thought, every word, every action. Now, here's what will motivate a man and eliminate disappointment and frustration and pain and depression when his focus is on nothing but Christ. He says, I will do all of this, not for the church's sake, not for people's sake, not for love's sake, for Christ's sake. You say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I work a full-time job. So it'd be kind of hard for me to make my life revolve around Christ, my job, and everything that I do. No, this isn't for those that are in full-time ministry. Folks, as we look at the days ahead, if our... Christianity, it doesn't grow. If our faith is not strengthened, if our walk with God is not developed, do you think we're going to be able to endure and to handle what's going to happen before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back? So little of what we do is centered around Christ. So little what we say, so little have the way our time is invested or spent revolves around Christ. Now Look what it says. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made. Do you see his mindset? That Christ might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death. Now highlight the next phrase. What The next three words. For Jesus' sake. So what was his enduring motivation? It wasn't about planting another church. Although That was his his goal, that was his job, that was his duty. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was going to travel. So with that came the hardships, with that came hunger, with that came beatings, with that came stonings, with that came problems, with that came prison, with that came sickness and nakedness. But none of that deterred him because he said, this is about one thing for me to live is Christ. Or oh, if we get our young people to understand this. I don't know if I can get through to our adults. But if we just get our young people to understand. For me to live is Christ. Go back with me to Philippians. Because he states it so well several times in this book. He says my goal in verse 20. Is that Christ shall be what? Magnified. So everything I do in life is about magnifying Christ. And let me just say this. The more that our life is about something other than Christ, the last Christ can be magnified. You know why Christ isn't being magnified in our lives? It's not about Christ. It's about work. It's about money. It's about pressures. It's about family. It's about all these other things. And many Christians can actually go a day and never put Christ at the center. I mean, not even include prayer, not even include Bible reading, not even say that this is why I love Friday morning's message. And this is why I love the promise that we made because it's even made me more aware than at any other point in my life that Christ is supposed to be the center When you make a pledge to talk to someone every single day of your life, you know what the focus is? It comes back to Christ. Because when we wake up in the morning, our thought is not Christ. Our thought is, I need some coffee. I need some food. I've got to hurry and get to work, and the traffic is bad. And your mind is already consumed with a million things. By the time you lay down at night, you realize Christ didn't even enter your thought, much less become the center of your day or the center of your life. And Paul said, for me to live today is Christ. Now, look what he said. When Christ is the center, when Christ is your thought, everything else becomes secondary. What's he saying? chapter 3, verse 7, a verse that was mentioned this past week? What things were... Gain to me those I counted loss for Christ. Ye doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Let me reread that. Ye doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone talk about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Chuck Mauman, who was here and preached Sunday morning, we grew up together, went to high school together. I remember one year we went to camp and we got the old big ball out. Many of you have played big ball at camp and we took it out to cow pasture. And I remember that ball rolling across the field and people slipping and sliding, not because of the mud, but because what the cows had left behind in the pasture. But I remember Chuck coming off that ball and you get four or five pushing it around and that weight of the ball will knock you around. And Chuck falling down and getting up. He had something green planted on the side of his face and coming out of his teeth. I've never seen anyone carry around dung. But Paul said, because my focus is Christ, everything else, any earthly gain is dung. That's someone that can truly say, for me to live is Christ. Now, let's be honest tonight. Look at your life. Tell me about your day. Tell me what you're consumed with. Tell me what brings you pleasure. Tell me what your focus is. Tell me what causes you disappointment. Tell me what creates frustration. For you to live is what? We're supposed to come to the place. My desire in life is that I can reach this point where I can say, for me to live is one thing. Christ now here's what will happen if you truly believe this you'll be willing to suffer for him you know in life we we have a missions conference and then we preach about sacrifice brother Farley mentioned this and I've seen it happen I remember brother Homer Smith talking to dad about it he said a church will never do what they're capable of doing with regard to missions if a pastor is fearful that his people will sacrifice. I'm not afraid of sacrifice. My wife and I went to the mission field and lived for five years with absolutely nothing. If you ask my wife what the best five years of her life were, she'll look back and tell you it was the five years of the greatest sacrifice. When we had absolutely nothing, no money. We laughed when we went back to Argentina this year because 30 minutes away from where we lived, there were some beautiful touristic spots. We had never visited those places 30, 45 minutes away. We didn't even know they existed. We didn't have a car. We didn't have money. He said, you never been here? you never been there? You never saw that lake? You never visited this uh, store? You, you never went to this tourist area? No, no, no. We never had money to do any of those things and guess what we didn't even know we missed out we thought we were living the big life we thought we had a good time and a great ministry and wonderful memories because life didn't revolve around an earthly pleasure we could truly say for me to live is Christ And everything else is simply, if your life revolves around anything else, it's simply going to lead to frustration and constant disappointment. Oh, how man is in this constant pursuit of things and more. And I watched some of you totally made miserable because you have too much money, don't know what to do with it, and it just consumes you. You might lose a penny of it. Now, here's what Paul did. First Corinthians, go with me to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. How do we know if Christ is truly the center of our life? Well, there's two main ways. It's going to, he's going to fill our thoughts, He's going to fill our conversation. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Christ is the center of your life, he's the center of your thoughts. Now most Christians ought to make this their motto, but very few do. I don't want to know anything save Christ. You know why you're on Facebook? You don't know why you're on the cell phone? Uh, you know why you you fellowship? Your curiosity is driving you. To find out information that you don't even need to know. There's not even truthful. One side, one man's version or perversion of the truth. And Paul said, listen, even in court, I don't want to know anything. Say Jesus Christ and him crucified for me to live is Christ. When the world fills your thoughts and fills your mind and has you so concerned and worried and now let me ask you this: you laugh, but you've had the same thing happen in your life where something came up and suddenly your mind is consumed and you're concerned, you're worried. 10 days later, you can't even remember what you were concerned about or worried over. but if we would make force ourselves and create the habit of saying, "For me to live is Christ, and I don't want to know anything but Christ and him crucified. look what it says in 1 Corinthians 1: 123. When you are consumed with Christ and what you live is centered around Christ, you'll be able to say like Paul did, we preach Christ crucified. What's the Bible say in Acts 9.20? As soon as Paul got saved, straightway he did what? He preached Christ. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, But what? Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants. Now mark those next three words. We've seen those several times tonight. What's it saying? For Jesus' sake. What was he saying? Everything we do is for Christ's sake. But when your life is centered around Christ, you're going to be speaking of Christ. Now I want you to think for a minute. I want you to examine your life tonight. This is devotional. It's a short devotional. And your pastor can't preach this because of my vocal limitations tonight. But I want you to ask yourself a question. If your life is centered around Christ, why aren't your thoughts centered around Christ? If your life is centered around Christ, why aren't your words centered around Christ? Whatever your life is centered around will come out of your mouth. I'm mean, get with people and their conversation always goes the same direction. I don't want to be with that person. Don't you like it when you get around someone and their conversation revolves around Christ? You say, preacher, why don't you get with him? Why don't you get with her? Well, my life is ministry. My life is Christ. My life is church. My life is this book. So if they don't want to talk about those things, we're not going to have a comfortable conversation or extended conversation because we have nothing in common. Paul said, my speech revolves around Christ. Look what it says in Philippians 1.20. It's not just that your speech revolves around Christ. He says, according to my earnest expectation, my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But what? That with all boldness. Oh, then look at the next two words. As always. Now also Christ should be Magnified. Now you know what happens when someone truly has a life that revolves around Christ his speech revolves around Christ and he does it with boldness. So let's examine your life. How much of your speech is of Christ and how boldly do you speak of him? That is the true revelation of how Christ-centered your life is. So if on Monday you don't speak of it. Now I'm not talking about the confines of your house or the four walls of your church. That's easy. I'm talking about publicly speaking of Christ with boldness. You say, Pastor, I'm just not a bold witness. That takes a Christ-centered life. You talk about sports with boldness. You'll talk about the Cowboys and what a lousy team and up and down and down and up and I'm sick of the disappointment and I'm tired of the coach and why won't Jerry Jones just turn it over to another? Why is it that you can talk about sports for 45 or 50 minutes? You're not even a fan of the Miami Heat, but you could talk about the Miami Heat and their roster and their scoring averages and LeBron James with more boldness for 30 minutes. But if a religious conversation even came up, you wouldn't open your mouth. When's the last time you spoke of Christ crucified in a public setting? You know why? Your life doesn't revolve around Christ. Here's a man whose life revolved around Christ. He said, for me to live is what? So if for you to live is football, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. For you to live is money, what's going to come out of your mouth? If for you to live is work, I get with people and the only thing they talk to me about, but folks, don't bore your preacher half to death. You know what you're telling your preacher? My life is my work. I feel for your wife. She probably wants to change the channel. Christ is not the center of your life because if he was, Christ would be the center of your work. Acts 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas, what's it say? Waxed bold. Look what it says in chapter 14, verse 3. Long time therefore abode they, what? Speaking boldly. Uh, that's a Christ-centered life. And it's reflected in a bold speech that centers around Christ. You know, it's hard to get people to go straight preaching. There's no boldness when it comes to Christ. Isn't it funny? You couldn't convince 90% of Christians to go out on the street with a Bible, speak boldly of Christ, but you could convince them to go to Buffalo Wild Wings, sit in a section where there's beer being served, 20 different games going on. You'll find some team to cheer, and you will out loud scream. I'm talking about women who know nothing about sports. (laughs) Will speak at a decibel level that anyone... 20 tables away will hear them voice their displeasure, their pleasure for something that just happened on the court or football field. But you put that same person on the street and they'd put their tracks in their Bible, their Bible in their purse, and hightail it somewhere where they're not identified with the crazies that are talking about God molding. A Christ-centered life is reflected in our speech, now here's the problem. Here's what keeps us from living a Christ-centered life: three words that Christians in this generation don't like—suffering, sacrifice, and sanctification. In Paul nails every go back with me to Philippians. Paul nails every single one in Philippians. Here's what he says in Philippians three nine: "Ye I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ." Jesus my Lord, whom I have what? Suffered the loss of all things. Had he not lost his family because of his decision to serve Christ? Had he not lost his friends? Had he not lost his reputation? Had he not lost everything, financial security, everything by following Christ? Here's what we don't like about the Christ-centered life. It May cost us, but not a recreational cost. Extreme sacrifice, and that's where most people jump off the bandwagon. Suffering, doesn't he mention it? Look in chapter 2. Doesn't Paul mention? Matter of fact, I think in just about every chapter in this book, he mentions it. Chapter 1, verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Who? This is a Christ-centered life. What's the gift? It's been given to you. Okay, what's my gift on the behalf of Christ? Not only to believe in him, but also to what? Oh, highlight the next three words. Here they are again. For whose sake? For his sake. Now, let me ask you something. Doesn't history tell us that Paul died as a martyr? Here's what Paul said. I would rather die than live denying Christ right for me to live now go back to verse 21 look what it says for me to live is Christ but to die is gain Paul why would death be gain if I live in the flesh it's the fruit of my labor yet what I shall choose I want not for I am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and What's it say? Now, when your life revolves around Christ and you say, for me to live is Christ, your primary desire is not to what you do for Christ, not your performance, but it's to be with Christ. You know, one of my biggest regrets during Missions Conference, we bring in all these preachers. I wish you could spend personal time with these preachers like I get to spend with them. I wish you could get... To know them, that's one of the benefits my children have, my wife have. We get to spend personal time with Brother Camillary, and eat smoked ribs. Finest in America. We get to spend time with his family. We get to spend time with Brother Treber, with Brother Brent Logan, Brother Joel Logan, Brother Joe West, these men of God. I wish you could see them. What I didn't say in the pulpit and what you don't know about Chuck Bauman is this. You know Chuck Bauman. Four or five years ago, became so desperate. Just to stay on the field, he had to start working 50 or 60 hours a week and put his wife to work while he was training nationals and planning churches. Here's a man that's lived so cheaply that he thinks a $25 humidifier is excess. For Christ's sake, more than knowing these men of God who love him with all their heart and soul, I wish you'd get to know Christ. My biggest dilemma coming back and pastoring in the States was being faced early on with the reality that American Christians don't know Christ. Oh, we know hymns. We could sing 100 a hundred without the hymn book. And we know the methods and we know the technology. And we know so much. Our knowledge is limitless. But Paul said that I may know him. Now, if your life was Christ-centered, here's what Paul said. My greatest pleasure in life would be to die. You know what? If you face death today, if the average Christian faced death today, there would be panic and sheer terror at the thought of leaving this planet because we're not living a Christ-centered life. Now, he wasn't in a hurry to go. I've often wondered. Paul later speaks of this experience when he was stoned and he went to heaven. Preacher, have you ever thought about the mixed emotion of going and coming back? Do you think Lazarus was perturbed? I mean, that's four days. Paul just went and came back. If you just spent four days in heaven... And then suddenly Christ comes up and says, hey, Lazarus, I'm like you got to be kidding me. Someone pulling a joke on me? Who set this up? Martha, shut it down already. I don't need you weeping and well and convincing him to bring me back. Do you think Paul wanted to come back when his head had just been crushed by rocks? He's bruised. He's blinked. Can you imagine that kind of a splitting headache? I know some of you talk about migraines. Your head's just been smashed. You say, was he supernaturally healed? I don't know. Were those cuts and bruises suddenly remedied? I don't know. I don't think so. Paul was a man that was constantly facing physical pain on a level we can't even imagine. Here's what he said. For me to live is Christ. But I would much rather be with him. That's a Christ-centered life. Now, let me ask you this. Could you say, now, if I ask you if you live a Christ-centered life, most people first reaction would be, yes, pastor, of course I do. Was your primary desire and focus to be with him? It was so great, he said, for me to live as Christ, to die and be with him is gain. If while you're on this earth, you're given 24 hours a day and you don't even seek time to be with him. Can I say I live a Tony-centered life when we see each other three times a week? Can we truly say... Christ is the center of my life when prayer is forced and Bible reading is mechanical and church is obligation. And let me ask you to fill in the blank tonight. Why don't you start with me and then you fill in the blank for me to live is you fill in the blank. Could we honestly say it's Christ? Because the revelation is this your thoughts will be consumed with Christ, Christ crucified. Your mouth will be speaking of Christ with great boldness. And your greatest desire will be to be with Him that I may know Him. And if not... We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.